0: The basic procedure for conducting the 3 Themius experiment of drawing spirits into crystals is very simple and straightforward. In the barest sense, the only equipment required is a round table and seven planetary names, their associated angels and symbols written in a double ring. A triangle is drawn or engraved in the center of the table and some scrying device is set up in the very center. Typically, a time of preparation is undergone. Then, at the correct day and hour, the call invocation is performed for the desired angel to appear while the magus gazes at the scrying device. If the above process seems complicated enough, then this book might be difficult to digest. Frater Ashen Shasan, Gateways Through Stone and Circle. A very interesting book. Um, It's called Gateways Through Stone and Circle, a manual of evocation uh, from the planetary intelligences. Um, It's a 2014 edition Nephilim Press. That's correct, right? So um, it's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you you, you have a second one, which we will... Talk about um, in a second um, episode of this, which is called "Gates with, Gateways Through Light and Shadow," the true relation of what transpired between Father Ashen Shasan uh, with his crier Ben Max Stefan and the spirits. This is an Azoth Press, two thousand and sixteen. Um, very beautiful with portraits of spirit by Alex McKeevy. um It's really really interesting. Now, the first question that I have for you. Um, is who was this book originally written for and and with what purpose?
1: Well, the book before it became a book was simply a collection of records, of magical records that I had experimenting with the art of drawing spirits into crystals. It wasn't really intended originally to be published, um, it was something that I was going to share with a few fellow magicians in the Gentlemen of Jupiter, mm-hmm. which is a group that I'm a part of. And um, as I began working through the system and, and making the tools, I just made sure to uh, jot down all of the uh, details and experiences that I was having.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, when I started having um, encounters with, with these angelic beings, I made sure to make copious notes. And uh, how it became or how it got into book form was, was one of the magicians from that group um, is a, a published author as well. And he was like, this is amazing. You should have this published. You know, the uh, readers in the greater occult world, uh, you know, should really read what you're doing. And I was really unsure on first. I um, hadn't come much uh, into the public eye with my magical working. I was keeping everything at first myself. And then with just a few select ceremonial magicians, and uh, the idea of publishing a book was completely novel, uh, no pun intended, but uh, Mm -hmm. just an idea I'd never considered. Uh, I didn't even think that um, I was quite a writer, or a good writer, or was totally unsure if anyone would even care to read what uh, I had to write in the first place so it was um, yeah it was kind of a a very spontaneous thing when it when uh, I wrote the first book and of course it had some I had to uh, develop it and and put more detail into it as it it went along as uh, when I started working with my publisher and developing the first book but it just really seemed to come together and everyone that I had review it seemed to really enjoy it so I decided
0: to go for it. Well, let me just get something out of the way. You are a good writer. Just well, so thank you, know. you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Um, okay, so, and when you wrote the first book, so we're talking about Gateways Through Stone and Circle, a manual of evocation from the planetary intelligences, um, who do you write this book for? This was for that group, for the students in general? Who, who was the aim on the or the impetus for you to write this book,
1: correct. It, it was for the Gentlemen of Jupiter because a few of us were using the drawing spirits and the crystals, the Tritemius, uh, a formula that's found in the Magus, and each of us were were kind of going about this our own way. Specifically, Frater Rufus Opus and myself, and a few others mm-hmm. were experimenting uh, with this. And uh, the notes and and my process was intended originally for them, besides myself, uh, to kind of share and collaborate to see, you know, how we could, um, how well we could work this art and, mm-hmm. and uh, what, what we could make it do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, drawing spirits into crystals, um, it's it's very interesting because we need to go into the magic and philosophy of of uh, Themius. Um, uh, of drawing spirits into crystals, which is this This is something that comes out of the magus, right? Um, And one of the things that I really like about your book is that it comes with an historical um, review on and summary of uh, who Thothemius was and um, for us to have a contextualization, historically speaking, of uh, what are we dealing here with and uh, where this author comes from where is it his background etc etc you, you know uh, readers might or listeners might want to look at the magus which is where this ritual is um actually uh, in and nowadays more available um, now in your book as well um what is necessary in terms of equipment to accomplish this
1: that's the big question, and, and for myself, my answer is going to differ uh, quite drastically from someone like uh, Frederic Rufus Opus, or someone that is coming at this uh, in a purely different form than, than what it's written. But uh, I guess to, to answer the question, I'd have to explain um, why it is the way that I practice magic, ceremonial magic, to begin with. And for myself, if, if I'm doing work from a grimoire, from a classical book of magic, uh, I may study associated texts, earlier workings that contributed or developed the grimoire that I'm, I'm working from, but uh, I come resting upon uh, whatever uh, art that I'm, I'm practicing, and I, I stick to that. I try to duplicate what's written down in the particular manuscript mm-hmm. that I'm working from, and if it says, you know... A, gold is needed if it's saying you know these whatever materials it mentions um i use those and i don't you know supplement or try to rationalize or guess or you know just kind of um do away with things because they're expensive they're inconvenient you know they're time consuming they're time consuming i I want to practice exactly as it's written Mm -hmm. first and experiment with um the actual process before i make any alterations before i try to do anything differently Um, or change it up. So that's, that's the way that I practice as a magician. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as far as what's needed, um, my simple answer is, well, whatever is, you know, mentioned in the art of drawing spirits into crystals, which is not very much as far as grammar traditions and, and art forms go. It's definitely one of the simplest ones out there. Uh, the initial tools are, Slightly complex as far as the scrying apparatus mm-hmm. in the table and, and the wand and this thing. But the um, the circle and the invocations are very simple, straightforward, uh, easy to remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole process itself is, you know, it fits on one typed page. It's, it's very short. Mm-hmm. So um, my recommendations is, you know, from people, whether they have differing religious or spiritual outlooks whether they you know they don't quite agree with kind of arcane uh outlook of how these grimoires were written if they're interested in this art form I always suggest that they put those aside and and try to understand what you know this whole art form is is coming across at what it's actually doing before you know just picking out the bits and pieces that you like and then running with your own thing Uh, my success has led to honoring these traditions as as they are, working from that first, and then, you know, making alterations as I like gain experience, not the other way around.
0: The original concept of this book, as you say, was to guide and instruct a serious practitioner in a in a by-the-book method of drawing spirits into crystals were very clear about your intentions <laughs> and how, um, how um, precise you want to be in terms of following exactly uh, what was um, set up in the, in, the, in the magical text. However, you have included personal findings as well. Um, what, are, what have you included that would help the practitioner to attain a better result at this enterprise?
1: Sure. So one of the first things that I included, uh, personally was what, um, I deemed the altar of the stars. And this is a wooden construct that I make that's, that's not mentioned or included in the grimoire. Mm-hmm. And the, the first and overlaying purpose of it is to bring the scrying apparatus, the pedestal, as well as the, uh, the table of the practice or holy table in within eyes view, within, um, a level headed view. If you were sitting down within a magic circle or if you were standing you, so you wouldn't have to crane your neck to, um, look up or down that it would be pretty much at eye level. So if you as the operator and or scryer are sitting to look into the crystal, I made the, this altar of the stars, um, to be arranged where, you know, when I'm sitting, I'm looking directly at, you know, the crystal without having to have my head, uh, tilted in, in an uncomfortable position, and, and people that are used to actually doing uh, arcane, magical, and ritual work, especially scrying, uh, will immediately notice that if you're not used to sitting down uh, with your back straight and, and looking at something for long periods of time, uh, it, is, it is taxing. Um, you're gonna get cramps, it's gonna be uncomfortable, it's hard to keep your focus, if that's not something that you're adept at and that you don't practice at quite a bit. And it helps with your magical practice if your implements and everything are arranged uh, where it makes sense, where you can look straight ahead, where you're not, you know, worried about um, kinking your neck because you're looking in an odd kind of space. So it's almost like creating a workspace at your workstation, how they have things that have, you know, ergonomically, uh, you know, come into to better play because, you know, people are there a lot Or It's the same thing with your magical Implements if it's not specified that you know these things have to be there, then you know those are places you can fill in the blanks as you begin to practice to put things at eye level to make things where they they make sense. Um, So that was one thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I I started to include other things like uh, traditional you know church uh, extended, uh, lighter and, um, and candle snuffer that they use, um, so that I could light, you know, the altars without having to step out of the circle or extend too far. Um, you know, things of course, like the tongue for lighting the, the incense and, um, the charcoals and everything, which, you know, would seem commonplace, but they're not mentioned in the grimoire. They may have, there are a lot of things in there that they figure that if people do these practices, that, of course, they would you know, include that they're not going to light the charcoals with their fingers and everything under a flame, you know, this kind of thing. So.
0: It's it's really interesting to see the book and to read it, and then you say, you know what, um, yeah, we need kind of like a, a, a an altar here that would have like the right height so that we can do that properly. You talk about rereading the rituals over and over until you have a clear image of them. Um mm-hmm so that they then that they are really clear and set up in your mind Mm -hmm. one of the things that you say in the book is and this is actually one of the titles or based on the title of the book what is the method to the madness in working with the grimoires
1: (laughs) so the method yeah to the madness is the step-by-step almost scientific process of of actually conducting this ritual uh the you know, the beginning things that are needed to make sure that, you know, before you just start jumping in a, in a circle, I mean, you can have all the implements arranged, but, um, if you don't understand the process of, of how to conduct a sacred ritual, how to get yourself into a space and a mind frame where every part of you is, is convinced that you're going to be conversing with, you know an unseen entity that is unseen at first but a very powerful a very real one mm-hmm. and not just conducting mind games these are all things that take a lot of study that take a lot of practice and to be able to gaze into a scry implement and, and to receive a clear enough picture where you can see something clearly you can hear them so that you can gather you know information and this is um part of this process in developing and in the steps of, um, you know, very, very serious, um, considerations that, you know, when I do these exercises, um, I'm not basing things on just, you know, feelings or what I think I hear in my mind, or, you know, I get this impression or that <laughs> those kind of things I do not consider successful vocation. Other people talk about that. That's fine for them if that's what they want, but for myself and the way that I consider spiritual conversation and interaction, um, that's not good enough. Um, clear, concise communication, visual and, and auditory exchange where I can record something, I can have an exchange with the spirit where I'm, I'm getting detailed information, not vague yes or no um, answers, not you know something that could be taken this way or that way. Um, but something that I can record down and I can really take into consideration afterwards.
0: In order to understand better the procedure um, of drawing spirits into crystals, it is imperative to know a little bit more about the author. We talked about this before. I mentioned uh, Thrythemius before. What can you tell us about Thrythemius that would help? on a deeper understanding of the technique and, and the ritual procedure of the drawing uh, spirits into crystals?
1: Well, first of all, what um, listeners have to understand about uh, Tretemius is that he he is a little bit um, in, of a name drop, almost like Solomon is related to a lot of the Solomonic magic texts where it's, it is more unlikely that he had um, a direct hand in actually authoring the process of drawing spirits into crystals. I mean, he may have, and, he, you know, some of his writings could allude to techniques and definitely inspired uh, later writers, but it's, you know, from everything that I've researched and other magicians have researched, you know, there's no direct um, correspondence that, that we found or seen where Tritemius, you know, is, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the author. But going through this, um, there's several related grimoires and texts that the process is, um, you know, very, very similar and spot on to what is described in in Drawing Spirits into Crystals. And I go through this in the book as well, where you're going to find a lot of what's found in uh, Agrippa's uh, fourth book of occult uh, philosophy. You're going to find things from the um, grimoire of uh, Turiel. And uh, other ones where there, there's so many striking similarities that you can see there was kind of a common, mm-hmm. if nothing else, inspiration, inspiration to the, uh, what's found in the Magus. So uh, mm-hmm. the Magus itself with the other writings, of course, being um, heavily influenced, if not directly transcribed from earlier sources from Agrippa. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um, and other things like that so yeah yeah Yeah.
0: now how exactly in your opinion magicians focus their will um and their attention when using magic
1: i think for magicians especially ones that engage in true what i call and what i consider true evocation and spiritual interaction uh, i do believe that they have to have been born with at least an aptitude for it uh, they really must have the, at least the successful ones that i acknowledge and that i consider it's it's someone that has had early kind of spiritual interesting encounters ever since they were young or at least through puberty so something that is inherent and then magicians uh, are ones that develop that they use their intellect they mm-hmm. use their will to um study and focus mm-hmm. and uh in these practices, um, scrying in itself is, is a discipline. It's it's something sitting down and, and clearing your mind. It is entering into a meditative state because you have to sit and look at something uh, that there's no stimuli at first. There's no feedback. There's nothing. But you have to focus your concentrate and uh, your concentration past the nothingness. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to keep your your will and intention um engaged and wanting to access something that is not you know readily seen or experienced initially and i Mm -hmm. think that's part of uh training that will training that uh those Mm -hmm. abilities and and sharpening those Mm -hmm. and it's not guaranteed for everyone and and uh, different people have um come up with different techniques to focus their mind and will but i think for ancient magicians a lot of it was just doing these practices and even if it didn't succeed the first however many times, to to keep doing it, to keep studying the material, to keep practicing um, this craft until success um, became more eminent and it gradually uh, increased in uh, fruitfulness and productivity. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting because in the book you mentioned that um you lived for quite a while alone, and that helped you very much because yeah, for sure. <laughs> you, you trained a lot alone um, until you got this, to this point where you can actually do this. Now, you say that during your evocations, the time that you felt more successful when, was when you, you set aside all expectations and assumptions. Um, what lies in the core of this success then?
1: I think it's a culmination of, of certain variables coming together. Um, I do think that a lot relies on going through and as part of the, the secret to the title, they are gateways, being able to pass through a certain kind of threshold, whether that threshold has any sort of symbolic uh, significance or not. There is definitely a, an inside to outside or at least a, a going through of you know, struggling with this material or or having it, uh, vague or a little, even uncertain, even if you totally believe it, if you know, it's totally verifiable. I mean, you, you want to, but until you gain that experience, until you move through that, that threshold of wanting to, and then yes, I am experiencing this and I'm beholding them. I can hear them. I can see them. Um, there's still that point in the mind that has a lot of doubt that has a lot of wonder And, um, I think there just is, you know, so much having to, to move past that, to, to really go through those gateways, um, even in the face of uncertainty to make, you know, to really accomplish, uh, these goals of the magicians and the ones that I've seen succeed are the ones that have kept going even past doubt and even past these frustrations of, um, experiments that failed for them before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now,
0: um, last equinox which was just now um i actually have um an ebony pedestal um you know uh, and i showed it to one of the one of my friends and uh and i said you know this is where you know um uh, uh, invoking spirits into crystal you know this is where it happens and you know i'm going to i'm very excited i'm going to interview um this gentleman, and and he, he actually goes through this, and he wrote two books about it, and I'm very excited. And and uh, she asked, what kind of spirits? <laughs> I said, <laughs> angels. And she said, what? What do you mean angels? <laughs> so the next question is, why is it a bit naive to expect a full evocation of an archangel into a circle or into a crystal sphere?
1: I think it's naive to expect that the the full and concentrated force of what those spirits are in in their entirety uh to be within your crystal or within your circle is naive and and even when my scryer and i were both in the circle and we both gasped because the entire room lit up and because sparkly (laughs) things were floating through the air and in the phenomenon was amazing and we felt and we were in the midst of extreme power and extreme presence there was no question but there was also no question in either one of our minds that we could perceive all of what that spirit or that angel was and we there was just a knowing that yeah they're they're aware of us and they're here communicating with us but they're not all here, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, There's there's a, a part of them that is flooding our senses and that is communicating with us. But this being is way beyond what we're able to uh, perceive and, and even comprehend. And, and I don't think either one of us were ever naive, even when I was by myself, to think that what I was seeing, what I was experiencing was the be all end all of, of what that that being was not mm-hmm. for a moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now, if, if that yeah. puts into perspective,
0: <laughs> <laughs> she's going to be very happy. <laughs> um, is there any difference between time and space as we know it in relation to um, what is represent for the angelic being, beings, for
1: instance? So my understanding uh, through working with these beings, through conversing with them and, and talking is that uh, time and space is, is, a very very different concept if, if anything uh, for these beings for any spirit um, especially space is is a, an entirely different conversation consideration mm-hmm. uh, the the practice of evocation itself is is kind of a, a paradoxical um, practice where you're bringing something that is not confinable by space and honestly not constrainable by time in the way that uh, we understand it or, or that it affects uh, things physically and we're attempting to do just that for a moment in time that um, allows us to speak in a way that we can comprehend in a way that we can have exchange uh, with this being so that it's you know we, we, we can understand it so that we can see it just as the the spirits themselves the angels uh, when they appear to us when any spirit appears to us, um, it would be extremely naive to think that that spirit looks like that somewhere, that it just, you know, it has this makeup and, it, and it's, you know, it looks like a person or animal or combination of those things, wherever it is, um, you know, that's ludicrous. It doesn't need that. So when we're viewing it. Um, we're comprehending something that is completely symbolically energetic. It's, it's what their office, it's what their energy is about. It's kind of an identifying mm-hmm. um, portrayal.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: everything that we see and everything that we hear from them, the whole interaction is, is part of their, their makeup coming across to us in ways that we can understand. But um, just when I perceive them, and it's, it's very clear, they're very solid, and yes, I can hear them. But I also understand at that same exact time that that's not how they're going about doing their own thing and their in their own plane of existence. That would, you know that would be completely unnecessary. Um, so you know if people mm-hmm. are kind of new to the concept of you know, angels and spirits and, you know, why would they have wings or why would they, you know, look like this? And, you know, this is why, this is a way that we can understand. And that, I mean, they speak English because that's what I understand in words, but that doesn't mean they use English for their language. Of course. Um, And all, yeah. So, um, you know, all of these things, I, I kind of take it, I'm used to. So, you know, it doesn't really boggle my mind that much anymore. I just kind of understand that as, you know, being the, uh, the filter, in which these exchanges can take place so that right. you know evocation exchange can happen right right
0: let's back let's, let's go back to the books and you know anyone that actually had had a little bit of time to look at the books or studied a little bit of the grimoires you know these various books, historic books of magic contain rituals and procedures that have undergone a variety of inclusions, additions, and you talk about this, translations, interpretations, I mean, you name it. And so um, as, as we know, we do recognize that the, 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 these, these, uh, these additions and translations and in our analysis of the various works, how is then possible? for a magician today to successfully accomplish conjuration of spirits with all of these mistakes, alterations, additions, and all of that?
1: It is one of the biggest uh, questions that uh, modern-day magicians just love to debate and (laughs) argue and talk and and discuss over. And uh, I still enjoy it to this day, but um, it's still a very simple uh, thing to me, and and I look at it in this way, that... um, you know, for for some people that do become armchair magicians, or they become frustrated, is because they're on the search for some sort of pure source, some sort of written uh, source of magic that that has uh, no alterations, no errors, no personalizations, and they're never going to find it. There's always something that came from something else, and something that originated. Um, even if it was taught directly from a spirit, it went through the, the filter of the magician of the person of mm-hmm. the human,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: that it went through. So we can look at spiritual texts, religious texts and magical texts. And the variable that you're not going to be able to remove is the human variable. And that human variable is going to be filled with errors. It is not a complete, clear and concise data exchange it never has been never will be and for some people that's that's frustrating because they want some sort of level of certainty there is no certainty in that aspect for magic no matter which way people try to argue it but within that there's got to be a healthy balance and uh the way i found the balance is that you know, I will take a text of magic, even something like uh, one of the more recent translations of the Goetia, of the Lamegatan, mm-hmm. uh, which is and argued and it's got you know, tons of versions and, and comes from you know, many different earlier sources. But when you know, it's one of the first ones that I began working through and I chose the manuscript that I was going to follow and I followed it to a T, And after one huge, tremendous failure of of getting something, nothing, getting absolutely nothing from it, I tried it again, um, not altering and not throwing it to the wind. But the the second time that I attempted it, I had the success I was looking for. I was able to achieve it. And it was not because the source was was a pure source. Uh, What I can usually count on is that a lot of these grimoires, um, one of these copyists, one of the people that, that had these materials practiced it. They, they followed the, you know, the recipes and the, the, um, recommendations and everything that was written, um, as it was, and, and they practiced and they achieved it and they kept it around. It was obviously valuable enough for them to keep it and, or make, Slight alterations later on because they were actually practicing from it, and they, they added something. They mm-hmm. uh, included something, you know, like the, the lion skin belt with the names. I mean, that's something that came later on. But um, it's, it seems doubtful to me that somebody said, "Oh, this this looks like a good idea." I've, I think I read something about this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make this detailed paragraph about this belt and and um, you know just put it in there. But I'm not gonna do it myself. My my view is, you know, somebody was either instructed by one of the spirits or an angel or they they did have this inspiration to kind of do this and that became their practice. So they included it in their version of the grimoire. Mm-hmm. So when I begin, um, I, I take the grimoire as it is um, and I work from it and I see what kind of results be, can be garnered from it without trying to change it or impose my own idealisms or this and that. You know, I really want to get an idea of Where this magician was coming from, the best that I can. And then once I feel like I've, you know, I've kind of owned the material, I've practiced it, I've made it mine, uh, then as I start working with it, I take the advice of some of the spirits that I trust or the angels or what I've learned or what really doesn't seem to work or what works really well. And I I base my alterations or any kind of um, developments on experience rather than presumption Mm -hmm. rather than um you know thinking i understand what's you know it's just symbolic and it's just this or just that and i'm i and i've never gone back at that because just about every time i've i've had a presumption about how something would go about what a certain tool meant about what one of the invocations meant and it was something completely different or something i'd never considered after i used it in practice i got Mm -hmm. a whole new understanding about why they did what, what they did or, or why the grimoire was written how it was written. And that's why I practice the way I do.
0: How does the correct spirit arrives when a magician
1: calls it by the
0: incorrectly pronounced name? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, in, I, I've loved this um, practice because the um, experiment has shown that <clears throat> there's a lot of things leading up to the, uh, the spirit coming. Um, it's its direction. Yes, it's its name, but if you have its name written in part of the circle, um, if you have its sigil on the layman, there's there's a few different corresponding um, pieces to to ritual that are, are intended to be safeguards to call the right spirit. Another mm. reason to the madness and the process of, of classical evocation is <laughs> so you get the correct spirit. But even when that happens, when when um, a spirit arrives. Um, in all classical, especially Solomonic-based uh, evocation, um, you are to question the spirit and, and have it answer to um, – now it's like the divine name. You'd use the di- you know, divine names of God or something for it to swear that it's you know, this or that spirit. Um, before, um, even in ancient uh, Egyptian evocation, it would be the God um, or high spirit that was directly above it. Um, to have it swear by that, you know, it would, it would be its correct name and be the correct spirit. And uh, every time that I've done this, I've never gotten a yes, no. It's always been, yes, I am. And it, it also gives like some sort of declaration, sort of introduction that confirms its identity. And um, this is a part of classical evocation that I think is is really important, should not be remiss because there are – I haven't had – um many instances myself where the incorrect spirit has arrived but from everything i'm i've read it is it seems like it is possible and that um a magician needs to be sure that they are talking to the entity that um they're intending when something arrives Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. now why do you think that for you the appearance of angels is secondary to the signs of their arrival and presence I
1: think it's, especially in my earlier practice, it's, um, it is just something that is very spontaneous. Um, it, it really stands out to me because it is, there's a point where nothing is really going on or there, nothing is, uh, perceivable. And then all of a sudden, some, all of a sudden something is, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's something there, you know, I, you know, I've done these invocations where, um, it's either been by myself or uh, me with my scryer and, you know, I'm going through the invocations and it's, it's kind of still and it, it, you know, it's just kind of an empty room. Even when my voice has felt powerful, I know it's echoing out, there's kind of a stillness. And it's, I think it's that, that point um, right before going through that gateway where um, it's still seemingly mundane. It's almost like that last second where, I think for some people, Hey, you can start imagining and making things up at this point because you don't want to fail Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. or you're sticking to integrity and you're going to be patient and wait for this, the spirit to make the first move. And uh, I think that's important that, you know, it is patient and you have to kind of hold a place of emptiness of, of stillness and, you know, not trying to expect this or that, or, you know, straining to perceive this or that, but, but really, waiting to just see if if anything happens. And um, so when when something arrives and everything, it's it's been pretty dynamic. And it's, you know, there's sights, there's smells, there's sounds that go on. It's, it, I mean, a lot of times it seems like all of my senses are almost being bombarding where it's, you're not wondering if something's there. It's like, whoa, you know, something is, is here. It's, you know. It's happening. <laughs> you know, yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs>
0: Now, interesting enough, some some of the appearances of the angels will change from every instance of invocation. Sometimes, you know, they bring something different. Or, why do you think that this occurs?
1: Again, I think there there's a few variables why this might happen, and the magician has to be, or, and or a scryer needs to be attentive because their appearance is also going. It's also a part of their communication. If you have mm-hmm. the correct spirit, but they're they're appearing differently um, there's a reason for it. There's, there's a certain kind of communication coming across about how they're portraying to them, you know, what they look like, uh, is saying a lot about what their energy not only is, but how it relates to the person perceiving them. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I mean by that is, um, you know, there's going to be one aspect, even astrological, astrologically that, um, during this, this, this spirit's hour, so to speak, when we're contacting it, um, if it's representing itself like these archangels do through this process, through planetary aspects, um, that planetary aspect, how it's communicating with the rest of the planets, what kind of, um, you know, alignments and elections are going on at that time and what kind of strengths, weaknesses, or if there's any conflict, Mm -hmm. then you might get uh, some visual or some auditory representation even through that about, you know, how strong is their energy? What's, what particular things are they showing forth about that planetary aspect right now? Are there, is it all positive? Is, Is it, you know, more negative? Is there an interesting mix in between and also the, the, the person, everything down from their, their natal, um, their signs in particular and how their energy relates to the planetary aspects that that spirit is issuing forth, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. um, can have, you know, some sort of influence because it is a form of communication, but it should all be recognizable. I mean, the, you know, if you're conjuring Archangel Michael, um, you know, and it appears and all of a sudden all you get is like a fish you know, on a distant, well, you have to question, well, is this, is this the right spirit? You know, what happened? Because this is not, you know, a typical (laughs) form that, you know, usually represents this entity. So if it's, you know, if it's way off, that's something to consider. That's something to to Mm -hmm. record of, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. how did this happen? Right. Um, but the, the slight variations, I think can just give further information about what that being is portraying to uh, the scryer or magician,
0: especially when this is like done in sequence, right? So you invoke one mm-hmm. time and then another time, and and it's layers of things that are revealed to you, and as you go along, definitely, there, right? There there is a certain order in in who you invoke first, and I mean you you, you followed the, uh, this order. It, it is advised to invoke first uh, certain spirits. You talk about Cassiel being your first experience of vocation that you you know you prepared for years um, using this method. Why was it important for you to invoke or call him first?
1: Initially, it was just the way that I studied, kind of the 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 planetary uh, progressions and the <laughs> the way that I was kind of studying the, you know the planetary aspects. But um, I think it was important uh, for me that I I begin with cassiel too because it, it really had a clearing out effect and kind of um a real direct entering into that that spirit world and um, laying the foundation of my practice uh, and as mm-hmm. i started studying this more um I really realized, well, you know, this, I think, was good for me, but I don't know if it would be appropriate for everyone. Other magicians, such as Aaron Leach, and, I mean, he suggests, you know, he's working with the moon first, which makes sense. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. the entry gateway into the higher celestial
0: Gabriel. realms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. with
1: uh, Gabrielle and yeah. uh, Shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, though, uh, for whatever reason, both myself and when I started working with my scryer, we always ended with the moon. I'm not... It just, Mm -hmm. it kind of progressed on that naturally when um, I was planning things out. And uh, through my practices that became evident that that was important. And um, I think it was sort of a clearing and working almost backwards from these spheres and then finalizing with this kind of lunar um, energy Mm -hmm. was um, more or less kind of solidifying these experiences and and making them more, not only palpable, but powerful for for us, so that we could go back through working in any kind of order with any kind of, um, you know, planetary aspect that we chose or needed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, yeah, I think that was very interesting that way, mm-hmm. but not necessarily needed for, for everybody's, you know, individual experience.
0: Mm. Now, your first inv- evocation of Cassio is described in the book, um, what was the most important teaching coming out of this experience for you?
1: Well, with, without giving anything away, um, the, the beauty of that interaction was when my scryer and I went back and, and conjured Cassiel uh, a second time, and, and this time when the two of us was in there, and I asked the archangel specifically for myself you know, these Im- images that he was showing me, because I, I still was unclear. I'm like, what, you know, what was the deal of, you know, these three beings riding on a, a horse and the skull and and the foreground and these kind of things. And the answers I received are recorded in Gateways Through Light yeah. and Shadow. And uh, they totally blew me away. And I was like, I, it was neat to see because they <laughs> – it would they were answers that were revealed later. I mean, I don't I would have never have guessed at them, but they did they were very pertinent and it was neat because he was definitely showing me something um, that would have significance in in later years and later magical workings and in later parts of my life that were very impacting. But of course, like many powerful spirits, you know, they never just give it to you straight and <laughs> you, you have to kind of figuring out which i've come to understand is important um way more important getting you know the straight literal answer because an answer in simple data is nowhere near as useful or meaningful as an answer learned and processed and experienced you know in due time it's it's something that you can actually own and then uh, integrate into yourself, and and I've I've learned to appreciate those type of answers a lot more as I've worked with them. <laughs>
0: you, you described Anael as um, quite obvious female. and I'm quoting you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, why do we perceive gender in angels? Do we do? Do you think that this is connected with a human condition um, that we are in, therefore conditioning our perception of that of gender, or wh- why do you think
1: that that is? yeah there's going to there's definitely going to be some filters within each person about what the the archetype of male and female means and what kind of aspects energies correlations go along with what that means just like um, the yin and yang these other kind of uh, polarities um, that you find in other cultures are often attributed. Mm-hmm masculine or, or feminine correspondence and it again it's not something that you know of course the angel itself you know can't be a, a man or a woman or to, to, to kind of view in that way in, in a physical sense is ridiculous but there's you know powerful archetypes and, and uh, symmetry of of energy of, of of what these energies mean and both my scryer and myself and and uh, I don't know any magicians personally that I can think of that is um, conversed with this being and and seeing it male. and not that that would be wrong. Mm-hmm. But there is so much about this um, this archangel uh, related, as it's related to Venus, um, and even as its namesake root re- is related in the Hebraic tradition, everything that has this very divine, feminine, um role this this you know energy it's it's just very very palpable and i think that um it appearing um in these you know female forms just is you know a perfect match for how we're trying to perceive it
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and um you know it goes as far as that there's it just um you know it's just how the the entity comes across and it's Mm -hmm. you know it's amazing but it's it's something even beyond that because with the interaction it's um, such a, an amazing, um, representation of what I can perceive as, as divine feminine of these powerful feminine aspects. And it's, it's portrayed to the the best of, you know, my ability to perceive this as the archangel brings it across to me Mm -hmm. and in, it seems perfect in its way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure that if I evoked it one time and it, Decided to you know look more male. I'm sure there would be some sort of reasoning, some sort of lesson or aspect, something that was bringing across that was important in that way. So um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much how it goes across. But to you know to fix a gender uh, for any of these you know, archangels, just they're they're not people. They're not humans. So <laughs> they're you know I, I totally understand that you know when they appear, Anthony when any. Non-human entity appears anthropomorphic when they when they look like people. There, it's because we're used to talking to other people, and it's hard to have conversations right. as like, right? Which is like in the heptameron. Oh, they might appear as a sword or a shirt. Well, <laughs> it's difficult to hold a communication unless you're t- used to talking with a, a sword or a shirt. You know, it's it's easier to talk to something that uh, resembles human. And, and you know, I totally understand that's. Why they appear that way, so that you know it's another aspect in evocation that allows um, communication and exchange to take place without huge distraction. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Why do you think now we're jumping a little bit um, that it is essential to establish a strong connection and relationship with angels before invoking demons?
1: The way that I see it, and through my practice with, um evocation is that these angelic beings represent <clears throat> extremely potent and far-reaching powers. And even though we're not able to perceive the full extent of, of what that means, you know, we relate it. We can relate these archangels to planetary aspects. But from my understanding, that's just like one strand of, of one way that they can come across to us that they not only influence us, but influence creation the world and you know whatever um, other parts of existence that they have their quote-unquote fingers in Uh, but when you're dealing with them you're aligning yourself in in a certain way and dare I say you're going through a sort of initiation uh, more or less a true initiation just by being in their presence and what I mean by that is that whatever is in you internally that understands what these energies mean whether they be planetary or whatever with angels uh there's it's constructed in in an organized and and very powerful way that i think is um if it's worked in the same way it's it's harmonious it can be beneficial uh for not only your psychological makeup but you know your physical and and other things as you go through is a as long as you're working with the angel correctly uh, it would be a false assumption to say that angels as a general term are positive things to humans that's not correct at all because some of them can be very dangerous and even the the beneficial angels if you know you're not working with the uh, the correct part of their powers can be very disrupting uh, to mm-hmm. a person worse so than than demons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but with these other demonic and um and other entities, they can be worked with. And what I've learned from the angel's perspective is that their part in creation is just as normal as theirs and anything else in existence. Like there's no conflict with them that they exist, but they do understand how some of these beings can create chaos in human beings' lives. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so in in this, um, this is why you see the magician binding and, and making sure that they have the authority of either a higher God or the the, the um, commanding angel to make sure that the offices of the, these demons or these lower um, spirits, or should I say more uh, closer to earth, closer to the physical realm spirits, that their energies work uh, more or less in, in beneficial um, harmony or at least in, in a fruitfulness for the magician rather than, than ca- causing them disruption, causing mm. them spiritual psychological or physical ailments which uh is shown time and time again that these beings can definitely will definitely do because it's it's in their nature they have a nature that is not necessarily in agreement with the person who you know wants to contact them and um there there's a lot there there's people that you know they jump right to demons oh they're great and this and that and everything but you know they have to pay attention you know if if you're personal, you're financial, and you're, if everything else is, you know, kind of going through hell, and you can't get things together, and you're having a lot of conflict, that's something to really look look like. You know, if everything goes perfect from the get go, and everything's wonderful, and you live and die that, then hey, I was totally wrong, and you know, you're you're perfect in alignment to whatever that spirit was. That's fine, but uh, as a typical practice, you find that that's not the case. That that human beings need um, kind of a control center, something to help other energies, uh, align more, um, sympathetic and, and, a little bit more in agreement with what the magician's considerations are in, in the world. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not this whole good, bad thing and, and, um, you know, how it's, it's looked upon in the, uh, you know, the religious world, so to speak, but it is something to take in consideration about, you know, these spirits do exist and, and a lot of them, are of considerable influence and intelligence, but they, they have their own thing going on. They have their own, um, will and, um, way that they, they work in the world. And it's, you know, it doesn't mean just cause you think they're great or, you know, you read in a book that they're going to bring you riches that if you come in contact with them, they're, you know, you're going to get the positive aspects of that just because you want to, or just because you're nice to them. It doesn't work that way. I've mm-hmm. never seen it work that way. <laughs> so <laughs> just
0: no. <laughs> um well we could be here talking about this forever um n- now the thing is uh there's a couple of questions about uh you know i need to say to the listeners that uh, you do go in detail about the preparation of the equipment uh, that it's necessary for this and you go one by one, and with detail, actually drawings of the symbols and sigils uh, that are necessary to prepare for this, um, uh, and and of course you know other things as well. Uh, you know the invocations, the the uh, you know all of that is in the book. One of the things that I wanted to ask you um, is in the moment of the actual invocation, what is
1: the most important advice to follow? Mm, excellent question. <laughs> <laughs> and the moment I, I think in the moment of the invocation, when when you get to that point, um, which means that you have done the preparatory work um, that you've been wor- working on, scrying. You've been working on practicing the ritual. You've set everything up. You've consecrated your implements, um, you know, you've got all your other magical ducks in a row, so to speak. The most important thing when you're in the midst of the invocation is to be completely present, to be completely with each word that you're saying and to remove from your mind, all expectation, um, all other distracting thoughts and simply for the sake of what you are doing to be in that moment and one with what you're saying. So basically one with your word. And the power of this magic, when you are literally one with your word, um, you're in the sacred trinity, which means there's no separation between thought, word, and deed. And that is the alchemical process of, of making magic word work. Mm -hmm. And when you can do that, and and when you're in that process, you will know it because you won't think about, you won't be thinking about knowing it. It will just be happening. Um, You will not be worried about what's going on. You're not going to even really be in the sense of considering anything, not your tools, not any robes or anything that you're wearing. Um, Even if somebody else is there, nothing. Um, You're just one with the word and whatever is going on. So what you're saying is what is going on. And that's not something that you can't fake it. Um, it either gets practice, and you either get to that point as a magician, or you don't. And, and hopefully you keep trying, and eventually you do. But I mean, that is honestly the um, the catalyst of of making you know this process work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it's an interesting place to be in. And there's nothing else like it because there's no arguments, there's no questions, there's no nothing except for what's going on. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, yeah, uh, you you say that there is, this is the last question, you say that there is no limit to what we can learn from the work with these spirits and angels. How would you describe the ven- benefit of this work into the life of those who have contact these angels and spirits through the ritual of the drawing spirits into crystals?
1: The, the real work of the magician, and we can even extend this through uh, the shaman, Um, I would say some maybe traditional witches that actually work with spirits, but across traditions, people actually working with spirits, it is about relationship and is what, that's what it comes down to. Um, it is about us being mediators between physical and spiritual worlds. And, um, it is not about, you know, just contacting some being asking for something and then you banish them and you, you know, you don't really work with them again, or you summon them down, like you know another year and um i'm really happy to say that a lot of uh, my fellow uh, magicians at least the ones that I, i work with that we're really coming into agreement on this is a relationship building process um you once you achieve contact um that you build upon that that you work with that and that you really do give it um the attention and respect um that it that it deserve and that they deserve. And that the the true magic, the real benefits, the the kind of amazing um, benefits that can be acquired that's written about in the grimoires, those are the results of working with these spirits on an individual basis over a long long period of time, over developing and, and integrating the aspects of their office, of what their powers are, their purpose, and being able to integrate that into yourself, into your own workings, it really is a relationship. It's something that's uh, built and transformed, and it really is a gateway. It's something that you step through, um, hopefully with them in agreement, and that you develop it from there. And then after this relationship is gained and it's worked on, you really start to see the benefits of of what you know these spirits can do for you, and not only do for you in your life, but but how you can help other people, how you can Extend it and move it out through your life by not only your relationship with your spirits that you work with But you know how that transcends to other people in your life Hopefully in a positive way if if you're working with the right spirits (laughs) Otherwise, it could be a disaster too and then you're gonna mess up everyone else around you too. whatever whatever uh, Waxes your magical wand. I like to say So Whatever whatever does it for you?